0: We are in the Psalms, the Summer in the Psalms series, and I hope you're reading through. If you didn't get a brochure, uh, a Summer in the Psalms uh, outline, there are um, some out on the tables right in the lobby. Um, so that you can jump in and start reading along. Just We're wa- walking through all of the psalms, so I hope you're doing that. Again, if you got behind, just pick up right where we are, start today's reading today or tomorrow, and and uh, jump right back in. No guilt or shame allowed, but it's fun to be in the psalms together. We're not actually preaching from uh, any of the ones we read this week. I'm preaching on Psalm 32 today, Psalm 32, because I wanted to talk about prayer. And the, the, the key phrase in this psalm is this phrase here in my title, therefore... Let all uh, who are, what does it say? Sorry. Let all the faithful pray to you. Let all the people who have faith, let, let people filled with faith come and pray to you. And so I want to talk about prayer. In just a minute, I'm going to have us open our Bibles because I didn't put any of the scriptures on the screen. And so if the lights are a little higher than normal, it's because I want you to have your Bibles open. So let's see if we can figure that out, you guys. But uh, grab a Bible from underneath you and turn to Psalm 32. Is there a, if you're in the front row, somebody from behind might give you a Bible? That'd be awesome. Um, to help you. And uh, give me a page number from somebody. 553 553 in the church's Bibles. 553. Uh, By the way, I gave uh, somebody one of those Bibles last week. They said, "Uh, do you have a Bible that we can take home? And I said, yes, we have like 300 of them. So if you don't have a Bible, take that one with you for sure. So Psalm 32, therefore let all the faithful pray to you. I want to talk about prayer. I don't know how you feel when people bring up prayer because here's the deal. If you, uh, are somebody have has question marks, you're looking at me. Psalm 32, page 553. Okay. You got it? Okay. Um, I don't know how you feel when we talk about prayer, because here's what most people do. Most people cringe and go, don't make me talk about my prayer life, because if you are feeling like, I probably don't pray the way that I should pray, and I'm not really sure how I should pray, but I'm pretty sure because I've heard stories of people who actually pray, and I've heard pastors who we pay to pray, upfront pray, like, I don't think I'm doing it right. Like, if that's something that you feel on some level, you're in the 99th percentile. And so I want to talk about prayer, and I kind of want to even do maybe a little prayer 101. And so I hope the Lord honors that and doesn't end up striking me uh, with lightning because I've oversimplified it. But let's talk about prayer, the beginning, the center of it, and what it leads to. You know, when we hear prayer stories, they're super fun and inspiring and sometimes a little guilt-producing. But but actually, they should be inspiring from the standpoint that every time we get sort of a prayer story or hear somebody share, you realize it's total, they're totally different. And so the first thing you're going to notice is that you're never going to be able to figure out the science of prayer, which should be encouraging, because you're not doing it very scientifically if you're in the majority. And so we just, we're going like, to, like, my mother-in-law is one of those prayer warriors. So she turned 90 this year. I've had her up here. I think she was up here. I think she was in church on her 89th birthday. I had her up front with us. She's the sweetest thing in the whole world. I actually attribute my still being alive to her from the standpoint that she's known me since I was 16 years old and began to pray because I was, I was abnormally and exponentially stupid at that point in my life. And so she was like, oh no, he's connected to my daughter. And so she began to pray turns out from the time she became a Christian when she was 40, she was praying for her four kids' spouses even before she knew them, right? And then when she knew me, she upped upped her game quite a bit. And I really think that my trajectory of my story about how God captured my heart, come on now church, isn't this good news? Captured my heart and hung on to me so that I continue to be faithful to the Lord is in no small measure due to this woman's prayer, her faith that she became this prayer warrior. She's one of those just words. Like when my kids call, my kids who are now all in their 20s and, and launched, when, when they were in college or they were now, you know, uh, on their own, they'll call from whatever state they're living in and, and they'll say, hey, listen, I'm facing a job interview tomorrow or I'm facing this challenge or, hey, I'm struggling with this. And I think, oh, you're calling your dad. That's so sweet. And immediately they go, can you make sure grandma starts praying? Like, that's where it goes. Like, let's get grandma on it because she's so faithful and uh, so full of faith. She's just a prayer. When she had her knees replaced in her 80s, she worked out like crazy to get back in shape. Uh, and when I said, like, you're, like, you're doing great with your, your knee replacement recovery. Like, how, what in the world? She said, I'll tell you what's motivating me. This whole time, I have not been able to be on my knees in prayer every day. I can't wait to get back on my knees. I know. You all went, oh yeah, that's not me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> You're like, my knees are good and I don't get on my knees. <laughs> yeah. When we tell prayer stories, we're like, just we love that inspiration of somebody who believes that uh, this God is present and is with us. And, uh, and so uh, her daughter, uh, and my wife, Linda, I mean, you kind of know Linda's heart from, from leading worship. And I mean, she's she, she believes in this God, and, and so she prays. The other we had uh, a week ago Friday, we had a little dinner party. We had ten people over coming over to our house, and uh, we were kind of getting ready late in the afternoon. And I look out through the, the kitchen window. I'm outside, inside. She's outside, and I look, and Linda's outside talking to herself in the backyard. And I'm like, Is she talking to herself? Like, Oh no, we went over the edge, you know. I mean, it's something happened here. And so I go, Are you out there talking to yourself? It never occurred to me because I'm so unspiritual. What was going on? She was praying. I go, are you talking to yourself out loud out there? And she goes, yeah, no, I'm just talking to Jesus and praying over our our the people that are coming and the chairs that are here and the table that we were setting and just praying over the event that God would come and meet people in our home. I'm like, oh, you're awesome. I just want to make sure I didn't burn the chicken or whatever. So... Uh, She's that kind of person. We had, we had Ben and Allie Horn in our church for a while. They moved to shout out on the internet, Ben and Allie Horn. They moved back to Texas, but they came for a while and Ben was a drummer in our worship team. Do you remember that? When I was asking them their story about how they got here and how they got connected to Marin Covenant, later Linda said, oh, that's a simple answer. I asked Jesus to give us a drummer because we were short on drummers. So that's why Ben and Allie got moved to Marin Covenant because God, Jesus. Uh, Linda told Jesus we needed a drummer. So she believes, she's like, well, that's what I asked him for, that God would send us a drummer. I just love these stories of people connecting to God. I don't know, I, my office, if you may have sat in my office with me, and you'll know, uh, among other things, you know, I, t- I usually tell people that I don't, you know, I don't have anything to help you with, like, I, I can't help you because I'm, I'm less intelligent than you are, so I don't really know how to help you, but I'll pray with you. And I usually start by praying, because when I, at the the end of an appointment, everybody feels a little overwhelmed. At the beginning, we just invite God to come and meet us in that thing. And that's one thing I know to do, that I can just come and talk to God. When we start hearing prayer stories and we start thinking about it, it's interesting and fun and they're sweet. But here it is, if we were going to parse it, friends, all prayer is about is that it is real people in faith talking to God. That's why it says faithful. Let all the faithful pray. That doesn't mean faithful, perfectly faithful. That doesn't mean the pure. That doesn't mean the best Christians. That just means that people who have faith, let people who have faith that maybe God's ear is inclined to them, let everybody pray. If you parse it out, every one of these prayer stories that you've heard is about people in faith talking to God. Real people talking to God. So I want to talk a little bit about it from this text in Psalm 32. And so if you're there, let's start looking at it. Psalm 32. First thing you'll notice in Psalm 32 is you'll notice a little subheading. Do you see the little subheading in italics? That's in the Hebrew. It's actually in the ancient text. And it says a couple of things. The first thing it says is what? Two words. What's it say? Of David. It's one of David's Psalms. Anybody know how many Psalms King David wrote? Any of the Psalms? There's 150 Psalms. How many did David write? Anyone know? Special prize. Well, some people, 70 what? That is so close, Mark Bierke. 73, and then there are two additional ones that the New Testament refers to and says, you know, David wrote this, but it doesn't say it in our Psalm, so it's maybe 75, so half, half of those. And, uh, And some people believe that some of them were attributed to David after his lifetime, and we can't sort all of that out. But uh, but David wrote a bunch of them, or ha- allegedly wrote a bunch of them. And so this is a psalm of King David. And what's fun about that is that, and we're not going to get into any more of that on this particular sermon, but you know a lot about David's life from the scriptures. And so often it'll connect it to a specific time circumstance in David's story that you read about in the other books. And you can see, oh, I get why he's praying that. So that's cool. Then the other subheading says something else. What does it say? A maskil a mascal. Who knows what a maskal is? Exactly. No one knows. No one knows. It's an obscure Hebrew word, and nobody knows the meaning of it. It's oh, I cannot believe it. Wendy Shapiro nailing it. How do you know? Do you know Hebrew, Wendy? Because I've met. Because I've met you. Uh, I will usually remember new people's names for a week or two, and then you will all testify. How many can testify? I'll be like, tell me your name again for like 10 years, okay? So, Wendy, that's coming. It, 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 say it in Hebrew. Say it in Hebrew. Maskeel. maskeel. It probably means, the root of it we know is, uh, I mean, the, the root, what we think is the root of it means insight. It means understanding. It means instruction. And there are 13 of these psalms that say they're a maskeel, And they think that these are the psalms that that those who put this psalm book together over the years said, listen, these 13 are going to give you some teaching, so listen up. There's a whole bunch of other reasons for psalms. There are expressions, laments, there's prayers, there's praises. But these 13, they're like, I'm going to teach you something, listen. Isn't that cool? So this is of David, listen up, because it's going to teach us some stuff. There's instruction here. It's like I planted you right there in the third row, Wendy. I love that. And so it's a mascot. So there's, we're going to learn something about prayer. And here's what the first thing we're going to learn about prayer by the first five verses that we're going to look at is this. The beginning of prayer, the start of prayer, it starts with humility and confession. Prayer starts with humility and confession. Remember, we're going to talk about where prayer starts. We're going to talk about what's at the center of prayer. We're going to talk about what prayer leads to. And as a, as a one-on-one kind of experience. But it starts with humility and confession. And you read through Psalm 1 through 5, just even 1 and 2, you see it. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Just even in the first couple of verses, you see this idea of the sinfulness there. And he goes on to say that when I prayed, or when I uh, didn't confess, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through the, and they were groaning all day long. For day and night, his hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. But then, verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you. It did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave my sin." And so we see that there's this starting of confession, but not just confession, right? There's confession, but then there's forgiveness in the text. The psalm, David, does this incredible job of using these verbs. If you look at verse one and two, there's actually three different verbs, or three different expressions, words, for sin in there. And, uh, and look at, uh, the first one says what in verse one? What's the word? Transgressions. The second one is sins. The third one looks like sin again in verse three, but it's actually just because we don't really have a word for iniquities very well. Like we don't use the word iniquity very much. It's the word iniquity. It's a different Hebrew word. So there's three Hebrew words in it and they all have different meanings. Like the transgressions word means that's the unfaithfulness or rebellion against God. Unfaithfulness, like God... You, Like, I'm your person, but I'm going to be unfaithful to that. Boy, doesn't that resonate a little bit? Like there's stuff in our life where we're like, I know I'm your man, but not right now. I'm going to to kind of rebel against that. I know this is the right thing to do, but I don't want to do it. So I'm going to rebel against God's plan. The sin word is really the sin that just says that we're off of, we're missing God's mark. We're missing, and it could be on accident. It could be a sin of omission or commission, but we're missing. It. Here's God's perfect plan, and I'm, I'm missing it. And then the, 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 the second sin in verse 2 is also the word iniquity, and, and that, that word is about an intention to do wrong. It's about a crooked act. It's about saying, okay, listen, this is something I want. It kind of comes out of lust and passion to, like, I'm going to do this wrong thing, and I'm going to, just going to do it. So there's this just kind of, whoa. there's these three things. But do you see how all three of those words are matched with three other assurances of God's meeting us in it, right? So transgressions are what in verse 1? Forgiven. Transgressions are forgiven. And then there's a different Hebrew verb. Sins are what? Covered. And then, and then, and then the second one, the, the iniquities, the Lord what in verse 2? does not count against us. All of those have different meanings. Forgiven means literally to be carried away. My transgressions, my rebellion, the truth of my rebellion and unfaithfulness to God is carried away from me and gone. It's removed from me. That's what forgiven means, literally carried away, removed. And, 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 it's, and the, the sins are covered. Yeah, they're concealed. There's this atonement, so there's no need for it to be brought up anymore. And then the other one is about that the sins aren't counted against. It's just what it, what it sounds like, that there's justification, that there's nothing left in the ledger. There's nothing held against me. And so you have the psalmist being crystal clear that this is not just about prayer starting with you're a weasel and a worm. This is prayer starting with you're broken in all kinds of ways. On accident, on purpose, from your parents, from your, the circumstances, from your DNA, from your lust, from your heart, your mind, your body. Like You're, you're broken in all kinds of ways and there is a grace of God that meets every last one of them. Right? He goes, oh, so it's not about you're a worm, it's about you're forgiven. And it starts with this idea of confessing. Because if we did not confess, then it's this burden of unconfessed living. It's this burden of living without receiving the forgiveness that's offered through Jesus. And this is pre-Jesus, but we already see this story of God revealing his mercy and his love way prior to Jesus coming. And Jesus was the fulfillment of all that, that all of our sin from the beginning to now, to the end of our lives, we'll be covered by Jesus. such incredible news. And so he says, don't live in this unconfessed sin. Look at the, the, the heaviness of it. I mean, why can you... We've all had the experience of living wrongly, living in our sin, not confessing it, not receiving the forgiveness, the covering, the grace, the freedom, the removal of our shame. Not, not experiencing any of it. We've lived in it, right? And you know how heavy that feels. Like I am not living right. Ugh. He goes, but then? He goes, so that was like, it was like being out in the sun on a hot day. It was like my bones ached. I was so overwhelmed with my shame and my guilt. And I, that is a human experience we've all had. He goes, but then? I turned to God and confessed that stuff and received this good news and God forgave my sin. The end of verse five. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. I love it. In fact, in verse five, you know there's three more verbs there about confession. What's the first one? Then I what? Acknowledged my sin and then I did not what? Cover up my iniquity and then I will confess. Those are three different meanings acknowledging, bringing it out into the light, not covering up like that's a contrast to how God will cover up our sin. It's like, I'll be honest about who I am. And then this idea of, um, what's the last one? That you uh, confess. The confess means I will admit it. I will bring it out and say it out loud. I'll say it out loud. That's the beginning of prayer. Here's a tip in prayer. And as you think about cultivating your prayer life, here's a tip about prayer from this first point. It is not about you starting by self-flagellating and wallowing in your brokenness. It is about you starting in confession that you're all kind of messed up and the good news of Jesus is that he has met you in that place and cast your sin as far as the east is from the west and remembers it no more. That's where we start. Our prayer time. Why? Why would we start our prayer like that? Because it puts us in that place to hunger and thirst in gratitude for the good news of who God is. It puts us in that place of not thinking that somehow we get to solve our problems, climb out of our hole, fix our sin, get perfect. We, if we start prayer that way, we're on the wrong foot to begin with. It's starting prayer by going, what is Jesus's last words on the cross? It is finished. And so we worship God And if you get in touch with that, you could be one of those people who at the beginning of your prayer time can't even get past rejoicing and worshiping God for he's so good and has been so faithful and has covered your sin and thrown it away and forgiven you and all those verbs that we just saw. That's the point of the whole thing. Ben did a great sermon on confession from Psalm 51 two or three Sundays ago. If you haven't heard it, you've got to go listen to it. We probably don't need to say and spend any more time on this idea of confession except that it's the beginning of prayer. It's where it starts because it puts us in touch with who God is and what the nature of this transactional relationship is, that he has come and met us in our worst. See it? All right. So that's the beginning of prayer. So starts with humility and confession, but the center of prayer is connecting with a present God, connecting with a God who is present. Was I supposed to read that other verse? Yeah, no, no, we'll skip it. Okay. Um, Connecting with a present God. So back to verse five. So then I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover it up. I confessed it. Three ways of saying I'm living in confession and humility. Confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Then verse 6, therefore, let all the faithful pray to you. Therefore, based on this foundation that it starts with humility and confession, and based on the good news that Jesus has taken care of all that, and brought us, restored our relationship with God, he's restored us to God. That's what confession does, right? We've been living in sin. We've turned our back on God. That's what living in sin does. When we give into our sin, we turn away from God, Right? Confession restores us to God. So then verse 6 says, therefore, let all these people who have faith in that idea, let all the faithful people pray. You get to pray. The center of prayer is connecting with this God who is now present with us because of what Jesus has done. That's why I said at the beginning, you parse it all. Every one of these prayer stories is about real people who have some faith and they're talking to God. They're connecting to God. And so there's this very real presence of God in our lives because we have been restored to him and we've started by acknowledging that restoration. So this little phrase is so funny. It says, therefore, let all the faithful pray to you. So pray. This is good news. God's forgiven it all. That's good news. So let the faithful pray while he may be found. Do you see that in the text? It's actually a really odd Hebrew phrase. Uh, Wendy, you can study it and I'll expect a full report in the morning, but in the Hebrew, it, it literally means while the time is good. It's almost like we would say when the getting's good, like get, like get it while the getting's good. This means, look at if you've, been, if you've confessed your sin and you're living into this restored relationship with God, then pray because He's with you. Pray now because you're, you're reconciled to God. It's essentially saying because you're a reconciled people and God is with you, then pray. Then pray. The center of prayer is recognizing we're with him, and he's with us, and so we can begin to pray. That's what that verse is all about. We pray because we can, and when we, when, when we pray, we're going to receive the help that we need, which we'll talk about more in a second, but I want you to look at a quick verse uh, that relates to this. Look at uh, Hebrews chapter 4. So turn to Hebrews chapter 4, and somebody can give me a, a, a page number when you get there. Hebrews 4, 16. Hebrews, 12, uh, Hebrews 4 is in 1207. Is that what you got? We pray because we can come to him. We pray because he's present with us. We pray because we're present with him. This is the good news of verse 1 through 5. We pray because we can. In Hebrews chapter 4, talks about this gift of what Jesus has done the whole chapter. In the very last verse, in Hebrews chapter 4, is that the right page number? Everybody got it? 4.16. It says, let us then, because of what Jesus has done, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. We can approach God with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The good news of that, when we read that verse, we often think, oh good, I need mercy and help. Yes. In my time of need. Yes. And that's in the scriptures for sure. But but don't miss the, we can approach him with confidence because we're near him so we can come to him with what it is that we need. We come to him with our need, in confidence, because he doesn't go, hang on, what's your name again? Like, where do you get off? Like, look at how you're living, man. Like, God doesn't do that. We actually go in with such confidence that he's not going to go, I'm a little tired of you. You get in the line behind Gail, please, because she's been doing better than you. Like, none of that, because our sin is covered and removed and cast away, Right? So we approach God with confidence. We run into the presence of God in all that we have, all of our brokenness, all of our sin, and we meet with God. We get, in other words, we can be confident to be present with him. And what I love about this is then that what that implies is that we can be confident, that we can share with him what's in my heart. Oh, hi, baby. See you later. That's okay. <whistles> Happens. <laughs> not only can we be confident to enter his presence listen we can be confident to bring to him what's ever on our heart we can be confident to come prayer is about connecting a real person connecting with a God who loves us crazy and who has already made our way to be present with him and so we come to him with our real heart I don't want you to miss this Mark and I are reading a book right now about heart, about staying connected to our heart. That God has given us a new heart, and he's put his spirit in our heart. And so when we say pra- the center of prayer is connecting with a present God, it's what's in your heart connecting with that present God. I don't know if you grew up in a tradition where when people prayed, they all of a sudden used a different language. They used like, not I not mean cross-culturally, I mean like fifth 15th century King James language. Did you grow up in a place where your grandma or great-grandma would pray thou and thy and all that kind of stuff? Like, how come all of a sudden they're, stuck in a, they're speaking a different language when they're praying? Like, this, this scripture's teaching the opposite of that. Let all the faithful now come to him And pray, let us come and bring all that we are because he's seen it all, he's accepted it all and let's bring what's on our hearts to him. We are often afraid to talk to him about what's in our hearts because we think that actually the real us should sort of stay hidden and the super spiritual us, with super spiritual language will come out. It's why most of us don't feel good about our prayer lives because we're not sure what to pray because we feel like there should be some standard of prayer. There should be a prayer book that we should pray exactly the way the pastor prays or we should, like we don't really know what to do. You guys, the center of prayer is real people connecting with a very present God. And so we come to God, if the Psalms teach us anything, we come to God with everything that's in us and we bring our heart to him. I love that. I just think that's the sweetest thing of a good father who goes, come tell me what it is that you need. Come tell me what it is that you're feeling. You know, this Jesus was famous, infamous, even in his time and in our time for telling people, there's a, there's a story in, in Luke chapter 18 where, where a blind man sitting on the side of the road and he cries out, Jesus, have mercy on me. And everybody told him, be quiet. You're making a fool out of yourself. Don't, don't speak. But he cried out all the more, no, Jesus, have mercy on me. He had no decorum, religious decorum to the rabbi. And he was making a fool out of himself. And so Jesus called him and he came up and he came to the man and Jesus looked at him. I think the text is up there. Look what he says, Jesus, verse 42, Jesus asked him, read it with me, what do you want me to do for you? What? Do you believe that that's how God interacts with you, a very present God? That's the center of prayer, is that you run into the throne room with confidence because of what Jesus has done. You run into it with confidence, and he looks at you and goes, what do you want me to do for you? What would you like? What is on your heart, my child? Most of us think that's irreligious and it's right there in the scriptures. And it's there over and over and over again. Jesus always asks people, what do you want? What do you need? Most of us don't wanna do that because we're afraid that something funky is gonna come out. We're gonna be like, ah, I just need a new car. Oh, that felt unspiritual and selfish. Listen, he's our good father and you're broken and both of you know it. If you need a new car, he's gonna help you get one. If you don't need a new car, He's going to help change that desire, and you're going to be fine. And he's not like, don't come to me with that craziness. Right? He's like, I know, your car sucks. (laughs) And he may say, and I've been trying to talk to you for six years about going back to school. Are you ready to listen? Or whatever. Everybody's story is different, right? Or he may go, i got so many fish to fry. Buy whatever car you want. I don't care. but we come to him with our heart and we trust that he accepts it. Okay, look at me, totally terrible time management. All right, here we go. Here's a a prayer tip on this. Maybe you need to set aside whatever prayer structure slash potential guilt you're feeling and just spend a week, next week, the top of a piece of paper that just says in quotations, what do you want? me to do for you Jesus of Nazareth and get in touch with your heart you know how I pray for my kids you guys I put one kid in front of me Monday one Tuesday one Wednesday one Thursday not physically in front of me because they don't live with me anymore and I sit and I think about their life and I let whatever dad stuff comes out I take it to the Lord I just think about their lives and whatever's in my heart for them I'm like Oh, Father, this, and this, and this, and this, right? I Just let him have it. Because I believe that he's going to be like, you know, again, we're afraid he's going to be like, no, and Jeff, you should get in touch with, well, that's good for them, and they're going to learn character from this thing, and like, okay, maybe, but this is what I want. And I really believe that prayer is about us coming, bringing all that's in our heart to the Lord, and he either gives it to us because he put it there, or he changes our longings, and then he gives us that, and so it's a win-win. Let's not overthink it. Spend a week. What do you want me to do for you? And get in touch with what's really in our hearts rather than what's in your religious heart, okay? All right, I'm just going to mention these, and I'm going to, and I'm going to bail on, on these points, but so that's the, this is the beginning, is, is humility and confession, because it puts us in the place of understanding what Jesus has done, and it connects us to God, and then the second one is and it centers on connecting with that God who is present in our daily lives, and so the result of that, if he's present with us, is that prayer results in help and deliverance, and put the other one up there too, as well as instruction and learning, and we don't have time to parse this, there's so much more in this text, just not even these points that I have, there's more that I just had to quit when I got to the end of verse 8, but... but prayer then results in help and deliverance. And when you look at there in the scripture, it says, surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You're my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. The, 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 the scripture says, when the faithful come to God and pray, then he's gonna take care of us, that he's gonna deliver us, so much so that songs of deliverance will surround us. And I know that is a very difficult thing for some of you to hear because you're longing for deliverance and the mighty waters have risen to this place and you haven't yet seen it. And I know that's a difficult spot, but I'm telling you the promise of scripture is that when we come to Christ in humility and confession, he restores us to God. God is present. We share with him our heart and he promises he will help us and he will deliver us. If you're not delivered yet, then the story's not over. And he will deliver you through it. That doesn't mean he'll deliver it exactly how you want it. That's not what good fathers do. He will deliver you through it. The promise is there. If there's any other verse that you need to memorize in the New Testament, it's this, and I will give you American dollars as a prize next week. If you memorize this verse, come up to me. I'll just give you all the money in my pocket. Here it is. (laughs) 1 Corinthians 10.13. It says, no trial, no testing has come upon you, has overcome you, except that which is common to all people. But God is faithful. Listen, he will not let you be tested beyond what you can bear. And then it says, and if you are tested, he will provide a way out. Listen, so you can stand up under it. He doesn't promise he'll remove every every challenge. He doesn't promise that everything you want will be taken away, but what he promises is that there will be a song of deliverance at the end. You will get through it, he promises, with him. And so we come to God and expect that at the end there'll be songs of deliverance. By the way, on Wednesday at our uh, next Wednesday, when the um, weekly devotional hits the website, I'm listing all of our staff's worship songs of deliverance, the ones that we think speak our song of thankfulness to God for how he's come through for us over and over again. So it'll be a sweet worship resource for you. Get on the website and get that or sign up for the subscription to our weekly um, uh, devotional. And then not only will there be help and deliverance, but there'll be instruction and leading. Oh, I can't. I know I'm late. I gotta say this. We'll be surrounded, it says, by songs of deliverance. We'll be surrounded by songs of deliverance. It may not be your song of deliverance of that thing because you're not yet delivered, right? But you'll have songs of deliverance of what he's done in the past, don't forget those things. We're so consumed by what God's not yet done that we often miss and forget to remember what he has done. Keep singing those songs of deliverance because that will give you the hope and the heart and the sustaining power for the song of deliverance that's coming, for the deliverance that's coming. Plus, hang around God's people because their songs of deliverance will encourage you. If you've experienced deliverance, if you've experienced freedom, if you've experienced God meeting you proclaim it from the mountaintop even if your friend is struggling because they need the faith that God's still showing up because they haven't seen him in a while you hear me oh and by the way I think God's singing songs of deliverance he's surrounding you with his own song of deliverance because he knows the end of the story he knows the end of the story and he's singing he delights in you Zephaniah 3 he delights in you and sings over you with songs so he's already singing about the, the, the deliverance. So you're going to be surrounded by deliverance Is a thing we get from prayer, help and deliverance. Okay, and last thing, well, instruction and leading. And you go read through this deal. It, it's, it's so great. Look at verse uh, eight. I will instru- There's three more words here. Does the three thing again. I'll instruct you and I'll what? What's the next one? Verse eight. Teach you and what's the next one? And I will counsel you. Those mean three different things. I'm going to instruct you, meaning I'm going to give you information. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, this is a present God who walks with us, you guys. We pray, God's like, I'm going to give you some information. That is a supernatural thing that God does for us. I'm going to instruct you. I'm going to teach you. Teach you means I'm going to teach you. (laughs) I'm going to teach you stuff you don't know. And the third one is, what does it say in the English? I'm going to counsel you. It literally means I'm going to give you advice on where to go from here. Do you believe that God In your prayer, the beginning of prayer is confession and humility. The center of prayer is connecting with the very present God. And the result is that he will help you and deliver you, but he will also lead you in your life give you direction. That is good news. Do you believe that that's true and that still happens? Do you position yourself looking for God to come and meet you? speak to you, lead you. Here's a dumb dumb illustration, but it's fun. I'm going to set us up for a moment of prayer too. Here's a dumb illustration, but it's fun. With your permission, Christina, can I share it? Okay. So yesterday, uh, yesterday morning, I didn't feel like going on my bike ride. I had a schedule to, I'm Planning on with some guys who were riding the the Marin Sentry and I had a training ride scheduled. Didn't want to do it. Didn't feel like doing it. I didn't know if I wanted to do it. Whatever. I actually, studying the text, I'm like, I should pray about it. I should pray about it. But you see the tension already because I feel like the Lord's like, I don't care about your stupid bike ride. What are you, a child? Like, Like, I got so many important things to do. Have you heard about Syria? You know, like, but I asked the Lord, should I go on a bike ride? And I felt the freedom from the Lord. Like, Yeah, like I felt the motivation for the first time all morning because I didn't want to do it. Like, okay, I think I'm going to do this. I think this is what, so I'm going to go on a bike ride. And as I was putting my gear on, I said to him, "Well, what route should I do? I'm going to go all in, God. What route should I do? Again, I pictured the heavenly father going, what do I care? (laughs) Right? This is what, this is the problem. We don't expect that kind of leading because he's busy with other spiritual people or more important people than you. And I'm like, well, he's going to lead me. That's what this text says. I'm his servant, I want every day to matter, I want every hour to matter, I want every bike ride to matter. And so he goes, so I'm like, these are the two I was thinking about and I really, all of a sudden, one of them was like not attractive. Felt it in here, in my soul, in my affect. Okay, because the spirit lives in me and you. And so I'm like, all right, I'm gonna do that route. And eight miles later, I come over the hill and I see another cyclist with a flat tire and a cell phone, walking aimlessly, looking for a cell, looking for connection out in West Marin and it's Christina Schneider in our church and I'm like, that's Christina. And I drive up and she's like, ah, and she was talking to Todd on the phone, like trying to get the cell connection. She's like, Pastor Jeff just rode up, (laughs) like Jesus appeared. It was so funny. And she's like, do you know how to change a flat tire? And I'm like, I got it. Let's do this. We had a great moment. We changed the tire. We got her on on the road. And uh, as I, you know, as I rode off, I just thought, well, how sweet is that? She was stuck out there, didn't have the right stuff to change her own tire. Uh, The folks that she was riding with were out of sight at that point and couldn't help her, and she was at a place of need. It all came together for me and probably wouldn't have shared it with you because it makes it sound like, look at me, Boy Scout, did the good deed. Except that she posted on Facebook later that night, got a flat, Pastor Jeff came, it made me feel like God was protecting me. And It may sound like a little thing to you, but whenever Christina or I or you feel like God sees you and his eye is on you and is leading you, that's a big thing. And that's the lives we're designed to live. And if God cares about my bike ride and her flat tire, think about how much he cares for the heavy things that we carry and the important things in our world.